Welcome to The Leaders Who Care, a podcast powered by Dynamis Group. We are here to give the stage and support to those committed to create a positive and lasting impact, way beyond the profits and margins, the leaders of the world who care for others and serve a bigger purpose. Join us on the journey of creating a better, more caring world. And now to your host, Marian Timalkov. Hello, everyone. Today, I'm joined by an amazing guest, a gentleman and a leader who's actually been driving a value-based leadership for a number of years. He's currently the CEO of one of the operators in one of the most interesting countries in terms of innovations. And I say hello to Estonia. You know, thank you for all the service you do to the world and really the great impact that you're making. And I, I'm really thrilled to welcome Chris Robbins. Chris, thank you for joining us today. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for thanks for having me. I, I completely agree. I'm not Estonian. I'm Canadian. Lived and worked in like eight different countries, but I agree with you completely. Estonia is just, it's an amazing country for the size of the country, especially, but it's an amazing country in so many ways around innovation. Very, very cool place. I, and I understand you are based in the Innovation Center. Uh, is that right? Or you're part of um, that? Pretty close, yeah. We're not we're not actually connected with them, but physically we're in the same building. Yeah, exactly. It's a it, it, the size of the country is nice because it's so small. We know some of the same people, um, and it's kind of a small circle. So actually, even a couple of people that uh, we have working for us came from there, um, and some of the people that uh, are working there now actually came from uh, came from Teletu. So it's a it's a it's a small world. It's a good thing. Uh, well, I'm very interested about uh, the innovation leadership and value-based leadership today. So we'll, we'll talk about that kind of innovation. And uh, uh, really, um, I wanted to hear from you. What is value-based leadership? Uh, where did it all started for you? And um, Because we hear a lot about ethical leadership. We hear about servant leadership. What is the, what is the definition of value-based leadership? That's a really good question. <laughs> Actually, I know what my definition is or, or how I've uh, kind of learned it and done it. But essentially, it's just the companies that use, again, my kind of definition, um, it's companies that use values as I call it a compass. So it, it literally guides every decision you make. So as a company, you need to be heading in a certain direction, whatever that direction is based on your strategy and competition and all those things. But you need those compass headings. Um, and to me, values in an organization are those compass headings. So it's the way you behave. It's the way you interact. It's the way you communicate. It's literally everything. It's almost like the personality of the organization. So to me, values is all encompassing. Brand fits under that. Culture fits under that. It's everything. Um, but again, we'll get into this, but I don't see companies uh, using it enough. I see it's kind of off to the side in most organizations. To me, it needs to be front and center. Like I said, it's it's the compass. Uh, that's very, um, well, interesting for many leaders. And uh, because when you're in a, when it's a large or small organization, um, how do you start? Uh, it's, let's say it's an organization they've been around for many years they have developed a certain set of culture values, but they may not be so clear on what they are. Um, how do you start that process? And, and how do you, if somebody's in that position, what would be your, your advice? Imagine you are, you're just being attracted and say to, uh, imagine you're starting a tele or organization. How, how do you approach that situation? Yeah, for sure. It's, it's a great, great question. Um, and I can't say that there's a, a one size fits all or, or an approach, but uh, 
I got kind of turned on to values by a, a friend and mentor back, geez, like 15 years ago. Um, and he was a person that believed that values-based organizations are, are super important. They're the way companies should be run. Um, and his belief was it works in any culture, any country. And he, he spent his, his life, his career going around the world proving that. Um, I've been lucky enough to have worked in like six, seven different countries now. Um, so I have gone through exactly what you're talking about in terms of coming into a new organization um, and having a belief that values are the most single most important thing that you can you can establish in an organization that should be giving you those compass headings. So I've, I've gone through that journey a few times. Um, so th there's not one um, approach, but what I've seen and even read and, and heard um, is that uh, most companies nowadays believe that there needs to be values, culture, those kinds of discussions inside the organization. But what I've seen is most companies still do it as a sideline. They do it as, you know, as part of HR um, and the HR guys come up with it and it turns into posters on walls. Um, they might hire great people and great consultants to help them with it, but it it still is very it's a small side thing to the business. It's not core to the business. It's off to the side of business. Mm -hmm. um, and then when you go into an organization, truth, I say this all the time, but I can tell, I'd say within 30 seconds, but maybe it'll take a minute if I walk into mm -hmm. an organization, which a little bit tougher in these days, uh, but when you could physically walk into a, a company, into a building, into a headquarters, you can tell within minutes that it's a values-based organization or not, and if people are living the values, and it's not about the posters on walls. So uh, my my approach is is values aren't something that can be done top down. Um, I, I, I fundamentally believe that. I don't believe you can tell somebody what their values are. Um, and within an organization, it's really the values come from everybody within the organization. So the very first step I, I've taken multiple times is literally asking everybody within the organization about the values. And the way I do that is, and it's it's super, super interesting, maybe in bigger companies, but uh, this is the third company, I, I think, where I've literally heard the phrase. I was in a company called Bita and, and here in Teletu, where people were saying, you know, that's a real Teletu person. Or if Ooh. somebody leaves the organization, they say, oh, that's so, so sad because that was a real Teletu person. Um, and I, like I said, I've heard that in multiple organizations, even ones where I'd say they weren't super strong on values to begin with. Um, but that that understanding that this person fits they fit the they 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 fit right and they people understand also when people don't fit <laughs> and there might be people in an organization like that so one of the first steps i do and i think i stole this from somebody that i was reading somewhere but <laughs> one of the first steps i do is literally i'll go out and I'll say hey guys you know i've heard a lot about a, a teletu person or a bta person or a vodafone person tell me who they are tell me like explain to me describe for me what that means like why would you call that person a teletu person why would you call them a vodafone person like what what is it about them that you say you know that that's a real team player it's a real one of us and i literally send that question out i don't send the question out to hr i don't send the question out to marketing i literally send it out to everybody in the organization because again, to me, I don't believe that I'm coming in to tell somebody what the values of the organization are or should be. I, I don't believe that works. I believe I'm there to find out what the values of the organization are. So I literally involve everybody and ask everybody. Um, and I remember the very first time I did this, um, I was surprised. So I, I took that approach of sending off, it was an email, sent off the email to everybody, got all kinds of feedback. But besides 
the adjectives to describe what this, uh, what, uh, you know, a Teletu person, for example, was. What I also got is people were giving me the adjectives and saying, oh, and it's this person or that person or that person. Like they literally were giving names <laughs> behind it. Like this person's a real, you know, a real BTA person, a real Vodafone person. Um, so that, I wasn't expecting that, but then I went, okay, cool. Everybody in the organization, or, you know, if I hear that name repeated multiple times from different people, different functions, different perspectives, it's like, okay, cool. That's a good insight. So then what I literally do is take all of those adjectives and then take those people that were identified as being, you know, values leaders within the organization. Essentially, that's what they are, the culture leaders, the values leaders in the organization. And I make sure that I'm taking people from all different levels, from all different functions. That's another key thing is it's not creating the values in the organization and articulating the values in the organization is not the role of the leadership team. It's not the role of the management team. It's not the role of HR. It's literally needs to involve everybody across the organization. Um, so literally I pick those people that were, well, I don't pick, I take those people that were identified um, and then truthfully do pick more people, you know, just to make sure it's a good balanced team. It's representative, all of those things. Um, and then I do two really, really important things. One is I, I take those guys, I, I throw them into an offsite for a couple of days um, and literally tell them, you know, you guys are going to come up with the values of the organization and you're going to articulate the values of the organization. That's, that was the, that's the objective over the two days. Um, and I also make sure that I don't allow any leadership team members in it. Mm. Um, and the reason for that is pure psychology. If you put a leadership team person in a group of, you know, a, a wide variety of people and, and levels and functions, it doesn't matter even if the intent is there. And, and I'm not saying leadership teams are bad because I'm part of it. <laughs> I'm not involved either. So I, I literally exclude myself. So I do the kickoff and explain what, what we're going for, but I don't participate because it, it sways it. And it'll become, you know, if I wanted the opinion of one or two people, I'd ask those one or two people. I want the opinion of the organization. I want the, the cross the, the, the base. And to get even buy-in, and we'll, we'll talk about this later as well, but to get buy-in into the values, people are watching. I'm, I'm not literally involving, you know, in this case, 300 people. Um, that team is, I think here it was uh, maybe 12 people, 13 people from across the organization. But the other 300 people are watching this and they know that if there was a leadership team person that, that participated, they know that whatever comes out of that probably is reflecting what that leadership team person or people were thinking, not necessarily what those other 10, 11, 12, 13 people were thinking. So it's, it's that psychology as well that you need to be authentic, that this is authentically bottoms up i'm asking everybody it was put together by people there wasn't this leadership team top down influence on it so this is this is very interesting just uh, what it fascinates me because one of one of the questions i was thinking how do you scale this because you know once you define it that's fantastic process and thank you for sharing things super valuable where if you think about it if you do it the right way it's a pleasant journey even for the leader because you exclude even the leadership team in that and uh, and now I understand that's also linked to the scalability. How do you make, how do you scale it across a large organization of 10,000 people or more or multiple thousands of people? Yeah, but, and this is it because literally it works in any size, but it's, it's that 
I, I'm, I'm psychotic when it comes to a focus on authenticity. So you can't do anything that, that suggests that this was somehow top down. It was influenced somehow. Like it has to be authentic and people in the organization have to see that it's authentic. Um, and truly that, that very first step, it's super, it's super, super strange, but that very first step of, first of all, involving everybody when you're asking about it. So they understand, okay, this is a process that's going on. And, that we authentically wanted everybody's input. When you pick the people that they said, that the organization said, it can be 10,000, it can be 1,000, it can be 100. But when you pick the people that the organization said are the values leaders in the, in the company, and it doesn't matter what level they're at, again, people see that as being an authentic process. And then at the end of it, um, and this is key as well, and it gets across the organization, when I do bring the leadership team in, is at the end of those two days or you know, three days, in, I think I've always done two days actually, but um, at the end of those two days and I have the, the team to put them together, present, okay, what are the values of the organization and how do you articulate those values of the organization? And I have the leadership team listen to this, not, uh, not to change, not to question, it's questioning for clarity. There is no adjusting it. There is no changing it by the leadership team. Um, and it's literally just for them to say, if those values don't align with me as the CEO, the CFO, any of the C-suite, any of the leaders of the organization, if those values don't align with my personal values, I need to leave. It's that clear of a message. And I've told every time I've done this, I've told the leadership team, you're, you're asking the questions to understand the values of this company. And if you don't align with those values, you leave. That's literally how important the values are to me. Um, and that process. Wow. And when, when people hear that and they know I'm serious about it, then across the organization, I mean, that, truthfully, even in a 10,000 person organization, that authenticity gets out. Like people start talking about it. They understand it. They know that this is real. And it is real. Like that's the, that's the whole thing is the entire process. I, I, I try and make sure and keep it that it's really authentic, that it's really this bottoms up listening to people. So it's, if you protect that, I, I think it doesn't matter the size of the organization, people understand and they feel and they talk about the fact that this is honest, that it's real. Uh, Chris, then, when you, yeah. Sorry, when you refer to a leadership team, mm -hmm. and because you, I imagine the process, just going into the details here, let's say the organization have nominated a num number of leaders and you, you pick the top 10 or 12 to be in that, let's say, core group of mm -hmm. uh, defining the values. What, and you mentioned it doesn't matter what level they are. So what about if there's different levels? Somebody, it's a shop floor. Somebody could be a manager, director, but not the leadership team. Do you refer to the executive team, the top 12, just to understand how that could change the dynamics in, in when, you, when people are suggested in, to, to actually come up with the values? Yeah, no, for sure. It is. It's a really, really great question because, and it, it does, because, you know, I'm saying all levels, but then I'm saying I'm excluding a level or a, a levels. So it's a little counterintuitive. I, I haven't read anything that says this is like the way to do it, but my experience is you can include managers of people, but no higher. So if it's managers of people who manage, like directors is what we would call them, or vice presidents or all the other kind of cool names and, and terminologies. Mm. I exclude all of those. So what I do is it can be, you know, people that aren't managing people and the next level are the people that I would include. And again, not that there's any research on this. When I was getting uh, those names uh, in different organizations and people saying it's this person, it's that person, it's this person. 
I would say 99% of the time, those names were either people that, you know, don't manage people or that first level. I don't know if that's Thank you. No, 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 that's fantastic. I, I was just thinking of that as you were sharing this and I thought, what a, because to me, that's super valuable. I mean, this is, you know, thank you for sharing this. It's a fantastic process because that creates a, a um, that's one of the biggest issues. How do you scale uh, yeah. transformation, change in organization? And often why companies are not performing is because of disconnect between leadership team and um, the majority or the, the, the shop floor or, or mid-manager level. And, and that, that's really important to have that alignment, which is uh, a great tool of what you're just you know, sharing of how you can create that engagement and, and, and better connection between all parties. Yeah, no, for sure. I, I do spend a lot of time talking to the, the people that are excluded, if you will, because yeah. honestly, all of those people want to contribute. And there are definitely values leaders at all levels, including those levels that, that would be excluded in the organization. Uh, so I spend all the time explaining to them why, like it literally is that psychology. It's, you know, I know you want to be involved. I know you've probably got great input. You like the intent is there even even big organizations that go out and hire an expert consultant in this the intent is there they're trying to come up with a good set of values and the right values and the right articulation of the values so the intent is there but what i found is you what you end up with is you know the perfectly worded exactly linked to strategies and everything else you end up with the perfect articulation of the values but nobody's actually living them Whereas if you actually do it bottoms up, yeah, maybe maybe the articulation isn't perfect. Maybe it's not the exact right words, uh, but you've got people that are actually authentically behind it. They're connected to it. They're living those values, which to me is way more important. So I'd rather have, you know, the 80% correct values, articulation of the values, but being lived by people versus like perfect. This is like the inspiring quotes on the wall, but that nobody's actually living. So to me, that, that the former is much more important. Uh, and uh, you, you're just so so important now. So one thing is to go through that process and get the engagement, but now implementing and living them—it's it's the next stage. You know, what are some of the <laughs> what are some of the best practices of the organization that they're living their values as a team? Because you you said you said you can sense very quickly when you walk into organization the first minute or so whether it's a value-based organization or not. Um, so. Uh, what are your kind of uh, what gives you a signal, and what are the best practices? What are they they living their values or not? Yeah, for sure. So, um, yeah, again, it's not that I don't like posters on walls; <laughs> they can be good sometimes. <laughs> so, it's not that putting posters on walls makes it bad, but usually, if that's all it is, and you don't see people living them, it's it's it, it's it's a bad thing. So, the the very very next step. As uh, soon as the, the you know the two day offsite, we come up with the values and they articulated the values. Um, the same guy that actually turned me on to values based leadership, he used to say you have to repeat something a hundred times. So by the time you're sick sorry, of talking, uh, sorry, Chris, who is that? I was just hearing about this wonderful uh, inspirator. Yeah, I, his name was uh, Graham Marr. Uh, unfortunately, he passed away a few years ago. Oh. Um, he was a, a New Zealand guy, uh, New Zealand, Australia, Qatar. He worked in uh, Czech oh. Republic, where I met him. Sweden. He was all over the place in our industry in telecommunications. Uh, just an amazing, amazing guy. It had an impact on lots and lots of people. But yeah, unfortunately, he passed away a few years ago. But uh, well, yeah. I just want to say thank, pay tribute to Graham for inspiring you doing this and yeah. to you sharing his, his really philosophy on, on that. But yeah, thank you for sharing. It's uh, fascinating to hear. 
Yeah, no, for sure. But the very, very next step um, to me, and again, I, I'm not sure if I read this somewhere or just copied it shamelessly or mm -hmm. what, but that because I fundamentally believe, as I was saying to begin with, values are the compass headings. So uh, to me, what that means is then after the values have been articulated and shared, every business decision we make, you should be able to link back to the values. And if you can't link any business decision, I don't care if it's strategic, if it's tactical, whatever, if you can't link every business decision back to the values, you're not living the values. So then strangely enough, although this is a very bottoms up process, to me, the misalignment in organizations happens when the leadership team and the managers in the organization aren't making business decisions based on the values. Because what happens when you do that process and it's an authentic process and people are going, okay, man, maybe this is for real. People are on the fence. You've got the 10, 20% in any organization that are like, oh my God, this is fantastic. I love it. I'm there. You got the 10 or 20% that are saying like, I'm not aligned with these values. And truthfully, you usually have to get rid of those people. It's not, not a good or a bad thing. It's just my experience. There's usually a percentage of people that aren't going to, they're, they're not aligned with the values. Truthfully, they're not the, the values leaders in the organization. The rest of the organization, the other, I don't know how, to, how I did my math, but the other 60, 70% of people, they're sitting on the fence. They're watching. They're, they're kind of hopeful because, wow, this was a cool process. It was authentic. We all got to share. We got input. These people that we, we all like respect and, and, and love, they, they were part of this process. But what they're waiting to see is, is this all just bullshit or is it real? And the very first time as an organization, you make a decision, especially one that's well known across the organization, you make a decision that isn't aligned with the values, they're going to say, okay, it was bullshit. And they've fallen off alignment. And now you've lost it. Like literally, you make that one mistake and it's going to take you years to build it back up. So oh, right from wow. the very next day, every business decision you make, you should be using that filter. Because again, it's a compass heading. So if you're saying, you know, we need to be heading north and the organization sees you taking a step south, they're going to go, uh, yeah, that's <laughs> nice. But we're not actually living those values. And if the leadership team and the managers and the people making decisions aren't living the values, nobody else in the organization is going to because they know it's going to be counter their culture. It, it's super, super important step. And I've, I've made this mistake at times. I'm, I, I believe at least I'm always using the filter of the values to make business decisions, but I'm not always explaining it that way. And that's a gap. So I ha always have to kind of correct myself that every time we're communicating a major business decision, even a minor business decision, I should be able to, and I, I need to explicitly link it to the values. And that, like I said, that's a practice I forget sometimes. So I have to kick myself in the ass to go, okay, <laughs> stop doing that. Always linking it back into those values. And then people, like I said, once you start doing that, then that 60% that grow kind of on the fence start to feel more and more comfortable because they're seeing it, right? They're seeing that direction. They're seeing that the values are, are driving business decisions, which is the most, like I said, probably the most important part of it. Fascinating, honestly. Uh, that is, it's not an easy process, I thought, to... Especially if you, let's say you're someone who is interested in the value-based leadership, you're CEO or vice president of organization, you have a, your own division or business that you want to make a profound difference. You haven't done that, but you want to really do it. Um, and, and you're sharing some really important things. What's, what could basically hold you back? I mean, you mentioned if you make some wrong decisions, from, especially at the beginning, that could take you years to repair. Um, what would be your advice to, uh, 
to, to someone who is starting out right now and, and is ready to go through this process, what is the preparation? Both they need to be ready as a leader, mental, but also, um, you know, how, what to expect to anticipate in terms of challenges, because there will be multiple uh, from the board and uh, um, really, the, so just trying to think of somebody starting out and I want to do this, but what should I expect? Yeah, for sure. So um, again, at least based on my experience of having done it a few times, the 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 pressure, the challenge doesn't come bottoms up. It comes top down always. And I, again, it's not it's not because you know I've worked in group structures as well. It's not because anybody up above even myself or the leadership team. It's not that they're bad. They have the best intent. They can contribute as well. The thing is, if if they do, if it becomes top down. It's not authentic and you're not going to get that engagement across the organization. So I've actually found that I've never found any resistance from the organization, the bottoms up part where I find the resistance is people, the leadership team want to be involved. They want to be driving this. They want, and I said, it's an authentic, it's a good intent and I get it. But from before you even start this process, you need to be clear with people that they can't be involved because if they're involved, it might get to an outcome that they feel more comfortable with, but it's not going to be lived as much. I think it was, uh, maybe I did steal this from somebody. I think it was Tony Shea in the uh, Zappos uh, guy mm. talked about this. He built a company from scratch. Um, and But he, he said, you know, after a few years, it was a, a good performing company, but he didn't feel like he wanted to go there. He didn't like being in there. Um, and they had like the perfectly articulated values and they did it top down. They did it with experts and all the rest of this stuff. And he was one of the first people, at least that I was reading about, that did this bottoms up approach and was saying, you know, I'd rather have it the 80% being lived than the 100% not being lived. Um, and like I said, I always find that disconnect comes from, you know, the, the people on the leadership team that I say, you can't be involved <laughs> or you can't change it. You can't challenge it. You just have to accept it. Or people, you know, even above me in organizations, like you said, boards, or if there's group structures and it's not because they always, always have good arguments that, you know, I, I want to be involved and I understand brand and I understand culture. And I get that even me, holy crap, I've been spending, you know, the last 15, 20 years of my career focused on values and I don't get to be involved in coming up with them. <laughs> so even for me, it's this mental thing. And, and that's the that's the area you're going to get challenged on. That's the area you're going to have to spend all of your time up front is on the management team and the people making decisions that they can't be involved, but they need to be living them and making business decisions based on them when it comes out. So that's that's a challenge. That's that's the biggest challenge, actually, is to make sure that you're, you're you manage those guys, if you will. Fantastic. Uh, so basically, your state of readiness uh... And preparation is, is key, key for us to, to make sure you spend that time with your leadership team, get them ready and just be very explicit in preparing their mental state as well so they, they don't kind of um, jump in halfway yeah. or, or, or kind of really make that. Um, do you see a correlation between strong culture and a great uh, customer service or, or customer experience? And obviously that some people are defining that they're, they're two different kind of uh, dimensions you know, of customer service and then customer experience. Mm -hmm. But um, do you see a correlation between the two? 
Yeah, for sure. So I'm, I'm besides being kind of passionate about values, I'm also very passionate about customer experience and customer service. Um, I, 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 yeah, it's not rocket science, but I think in any industry on the planet nowadays, you have to be. I, I don't. There's still companies that aren't, which is I just mind blowing to me. But uh, I think you have to be. You know, when you can be spending, you know, millions, tens of millions, hundred millions of euros in advertising. Um, and somebody's going to put more weight into what some stranger said on Facebook, y- you know, you need to be aware <laughs> of those things. Um, so to me, I, it, I think it, it's, it's paramount, but I don't think, um, so are they related to correlated? Absolutely. I don't think you can deliver just my opinion. I don't think you can deliver great customer experience. I don't think you can deliver great customer service without a really strong culture and values inside. Um, I had another leader that I, I worked with. She always used to say, if you can't sell it on the inside, you can't sell it on the outside. Mm. So, and and I, I fundamentally believe that. And uh, it's actually a, a few times when I've gone into organizations and, and, and been, you know, trying to lead the, the vision on customer service and customer experience. One of the first places you actually have to start is whatever you're thinking of doing from a customer experience perspective, you need to start that inside the organization. Otherwise, again, you don't have that authenticity and people are going to be calling bullshit on you. So to me, that's, it's super, super important. You, I, I think it, it's, it's like the first step is you have to have that culture and the values of the organization before you can start moving to, down customer service, customer experience, especially if that's a change. Like if you're going into an organization and you're thinking, hey, we're not great at customer service, we're not great at, at uh, customer experience, but we want to be, and we believe there's differentiation there. To me, the very first thing you have to do is fix what's inside the organization. You need the values, you need the culture, you need the alignment before you can ever do something outside the organization. It doesn't matter. An advertising campaign isn't going to change your customer experience, your customer service. All it's going to do is you might get some customers interested and they're going to walk into your store. They're going to walk into your, you'll go to your website, they'll do whatever. They'll interact with you based on that you know promise. But the second they interact with any of your people, they're going to know, okay, it's bullshit. Like it's not real. And You're wasting it's... your money. Basically, you, be, you, be, you better start internally before you do all this. You got to be ready. And I, yeah. I agree. There's a, there's a path, there's a walk you need to go through in order to uh, really deliver on that. And, and thank you for sharing this because the customer service is not just uh, dealing with customer problems, but taking it a step further. You know, you need having the will, having the interest to really make a difference because that moment is so critical. It makes yeah. the difference of whether they're going to stay with you and be loyal or, or completely leave um, no, this exactly. organization. And I think without having a strong value, something to keep you through those difficult times, there's really, uh, you know, the empty promise and very difficult to deliver on. Yeah, no, exactly, exactly. The, the other thing to keep in mind, especially when you're, you know, you're coming up with the how to persuade, how to convince the, the managers and the leaders not to be participating um, in this I don't know, I guess maybe it's a a philosophical debate, but I fundamentally Mm. believe people are good. I know there's exceptions, but I fundamentally believe people are good. Um, And if you take, you know, the makeup of of that group I was talking about, the 12, 13 people, 20 people, however you want to, how many you want to involve. If you take, you know, 10, 20 good people that are recognized values leaders in the organizations, they're not going to come up with bad words. 
Like they're not going to miss something. They're not going to come up with, you know, our values are to be lazy and slow and boring. It's not ever going to happen. They're going to come up with good, positive words. And to be fair, they're probably the same good, positive words that if you did a Google search, you're going to find on value statements across the world. Like they're not that different. The difference is that process is what's important. The process is what's going to get people aligned behind it. It's not the words. So once people get out of their head that the words are important, they're not. <laughs> it's the process. And then it's living those values in decisions that the business is making in, in the future. The actual word, like I said, even our values here, I'm sure if I did a Google search, I'd find the values we have on half a dozen companies across the world. It's not the difference. The difference is we're actually living them. We're using to make business decisions. Super, super. No, it is, especially when you're in a group, I think even if one of them is tempted to bring some uh, a controversial area, <laughs> you've got you've got another another 12 or 20 people you know, watching out. So, exactly. you know, I think you're absolutely right. Just need to give that peace of mind and trust your own people. Because if you can't yeah. trust your own people, as you say, you probably have to leave. I mean, or just something is, is just not right or find a way to build that trust. It's, it's, it's really very critical and important. Um, otherwise, you can't make it. There's a saying, if a family is divided between themselves, they probably won't make it. So they got to unite uh, in, in really, uh, and a company is, is, you know, you spend at work probably more time you spend at home. Um, oh, yeah, no, exactly. So, so I think it's so important, you know, to, to have that uh, mindset. How does business uh, really, um, uh, when you have a very close competitors, I mean, in, in your field, that's quite the case. How do you stand out, you know, when, when you're really quite uh, neck to neck with, with quite a few organizations? And um, what are the role of values and, and care play in it? Like I said, I think for any industry in today's world, it's important, but um I agree very specifically. So in industries that are essentially commodities, utilities, if you think about, and I'm not picking on different industries, but um, if you think about telecommunications, utilities, banking, insurance, um, we're in this really weird place where services truthfully are pretty common across. There's not that big of a difference um, between them. It's essentially about as close to a commodity as you can get in in most of those industries. Um, But then we also have this terrible reputation of being crappy at customer service maybe it's because we came from utilities background like you had to you had to you know be a customer of ours to have have the utility it's interesting um but literally we're we're globally known as having crappy customer service so to me in my industry it's exactly as you described essentially the service is the same the networks are the same the service is the same the pricing is even similar depends how you do the pricing but it's that to me the difference is that customer experience and that customer service and again as if you believe what i believe customer service and customer experience and empathy and authenticity for customers and that's how you deliver great customer service and great customer experience that comes from the values and cultures in the organization and it can't happen without the values and cultures in the organization. So my belief is in industries where, like you said, you know, the products, the services are very, you know, interchangeable, if you will. Um, It's super, super important, even more important to have those values and cultures. And that can and does differentiate you. And it's, it's bizarre because you think, okay, the way I deal with customers is going to differentiate me. Well, anybody can do the same thing. You can't. I've seen organizations try and do it, but if you don't have that first step of the values and the culture of the organization, it doesn't work. 
one, this is a, a fun little thing I do because I'm, I'm constantly like looking for customer service and customer experience and values and culture. Mm-hmm. When I see a big, huge advertising campaign, which happens in almost any country, at least once, twice a year in those industries, banking, insurance, utilities, telecommunications, there's almost always once a year, there's like some big brand campaign about we're focused on customers. Fantastic. Great. I've done big brand campaigns about things like that too. Fantastic. What I'd love to do is then go into that organization and talk to a bank teller, talk to somebody in one of the retail stores and ask them what changed. And my experience at least is about 90, 95% of the time, what the person will tell you is either nothing or they'll tell you that there's a new leadership team in or a new CEO in. And that's why we, we've done this big advertising campaign because we somehow think a big advertising campaign is going to make us customer focused. Nothing's changed. And if the employees know that nothing's changed, guess what? Nothing's changed. <laughs> well, thank you. So you're sharing a basically very powerful uh, technique to double check. Whenever somebody's doing a, a massive advertising campaign, the first thing you do, go and check um, actually uh, what has changed. And, and yeah. people and even customers can find out themselves just by asking the employees of the organization of what they think. But if yeah. they say and they believe and they're passionate about a change, well, I guess you are much more inclined to believe in it and really start, wow, and say maybe that, that's something which is going to really make a difference. No, exactly. And I mean, I'm being kind of black and white with it. You know, it is, it is a process. So and it depends on the people and are you hitting that 20% of the, of the people that are really into it from day one or kind of the ones on the fence. Um, but it, it is, a, to me, it's a great kind of a litmus test, just going in and asking the people. And they like said, it's the same thing. You can go up to a receptionist at the, at the front, uh, front desk, if they have a front desk, go up to the receptionist and ask them, you know, I just saw this fantastic advertising campaign. So what's changed? What do you guys changed? And literally, even just the facial expression of the person that they kind of go, you know, roll their eyes and like, eh, okay, you know, nothing. But the flip side, and I've had this as well, occasionally, <laughs> where they, they get so excited, they're going to tell you what, what we've done, how we did it differently, what we're doing differently as an organization, and they're passionate behind it, then you know, okay, something's actually happened in this organization. I, I, I love doing it. It's just super I cool. I love it. I love it. Well, thank you. I'll, I'll start doing it myself. I'm just so uh, excited about, you know, the company is doing a lot of great things and, and value uh, lead with, with value-based leadership, I think is fantastic and empowering their people and making a profound difference and, and ultimately delivering better care and better customer experience. Yeah. What happened? Or do you have a case when somebody bridged the company values and, and what do you do when that happens? Um. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> it, it happens. It happens. I just say quite often. That makes it sound bad. Um, strangely enough, it's. I, I don't want to make this sound uh, manipulative because it's not. Strangely enough, though, if you're trying to get that authenticity across the organization, so you're in that process of we come up with the values, and now we need to get people living those values and seeing that they're being lived. Strangely enough, you want to look for those opportunities where you have people and what has usually happened is the people are even high performers. They're doing good sales. For example, they're doing mm-hmm. good at something. They're doing good marketing. They're doing good something, but they're not aligned with the values. And truthfully, once you've articulated those values, you can go almost anywhere in the organization and ask people and they can point out those people too. And what mm-hmm. they're waiting for you is to see again, are you making decisions based on those values? Are you going to get rid of that person? So, you know, if, if, uh, if you say one of your values is trust, 
Um, but everybody in the company knows that your head of HR doesn't trust employees. You know, there's tons of rules and processes and controls because they don't trust them. Or finance is another kind of common one. Legal. So these these back office you kind of pick on. Everybody in the organization knows that those people aren't aligned with the values. They're just sitting back and waiting to see what's going to happen. And if you do nothing with that, if you don't actually act on that, again, your entire organization is going to go, it's bullshit. So I, I have had, like, I remember one guy in Lithuania, superstar in sales, always got the best results, but the way he was delivering the results, very much not aligned with the values of the organization that we came up with, fired him. And really super importantly, explained to people why we fired him. So it wasn't that, you know, he's moving on to new things and we wish him well crap that organizations do all the time. And every employee in the company knows it's not true anyways. Everybody knows why somebody gets fired. So that those corporate bullshit lines, I, I, I hate, like be honest with people. So you fired the person because they're not aligned with the values. You tell the entire organization, this person was fired. He was delivering the results and he, the way he was delivering the results was not aligned with their values. So we asked him to leave. And you tell everybody that so that they know that you are actually making business decisions that look like they short-term hurt your results because you're aligned with the values. So like I said, it's it's not that you know you want to artificially create those things, but when those situations happen, it's it's a it's a it's a what's the word? It's an opportunity for you. It's like a huge, huge opportunity to demonstrate you're making business decisions based on those values. And it does always, at least in my experience, it always happens. Well, that's uh, that's fantastic. Thank you for sharing, Chris. And how do you become a value-based leader? Uh, if really, if someone that's right now on the fence and is saying, you know, I actually want to do that. The the first thing I would uh, I would say is do a lot of research. Now, and again, this is my process. I once I get passionate about something, I, I do a deep dive. So I. I Graham that I was talking about, he kind of turned me on to this, but then uh, I think I've read everything about values-based organizations that I could find. I've had coaches and mentors, and you know, I, I talk to people like you do um, to, to kind of get some ideas. I learned by doing stuff like this, truthfully. The more I talk about values-based organizations, some of your questions, you know, the thought process when I'm talking about them, that teaches it as well. So I would do instantly start doing a deep dive. And there's some some great uh, examples of organizations that have done values-based leadership. Um, I would dive into those and get inspired and start thinking about how how to start doing those things. So the very first step is the research. Truthfully, it's it's the the, uh, the grunt work that you have to do to learn something about it. Oh, fantastic. Well, um, and once you do the research and you're, you're ready to launch, there's always, I guess, uncertainty because you're doing something you've never done before. Um, what is your, is there any uh, practical advice how, how to, was, apart from the research and you're ready to launch, is there any other practical advice that would be important for them to start implementing and defining and living the, the, that, that? Because if you don't live that yourself, <laughs> uh, it's like uh, it's the same thing right so so can you practice on yourself before you, you you're ready to launch it and, and just it, see see how it is 
Yeah, it's it's actually it's a really really good point that we kind of uh, skipped over it. Um, I so I'm I'm a huge believer, obviously, in values based organizations, but I'm actually even a bigger um, what's the word uh, more passionate about uh, values for uh, individuals. So I've done values coaching for individuals for students. So I believe one of the, the key things for any human being is to understand your values, why you get up in the morning, what drives you. Even sometimes uh, you're not living your values. You're, you're unhappy. You don't know why. You might have a great job, a great career, a great whatever, um, but you're unhappy. You don't really know why. My experience is most of the time it's because you've got one or two of your values you're not living. And it's mm. kind of tough to live your values if you don't know what they are. So there is actually a process to understanding your own values. So it, it's, it was a great question because, and I skipped right over it, before you try and change an organization into a values-based organization, you need to understand your own personal values. That self-awareness, I think it's even an EQ, you know, self-awareness you need before you can actually get that, like that group awareness going. So I would spend a lot of time understanding your own personal values. I mean, mine, can't see them. I have my personal values tattooed on my arms. That's how that's how clear I was. I wouldn't recommend that to somebody <laughs> until you're very, very, very clear on your values. It'd be bad. Um, but like literally, that kind of clarity on your values, on your personal values, super, super key. Question, Chris. What about if values change? Do it. Does value change? And and what if they change? Do you add them more, or you uh, with the tattoos? I'm just starting to think. How's that, <laughs> how's that gonna work? <laughs> uh, it's too funny. It's a it's a great question too. So again, for me personally, no. Um, but like I said, I've done a lot of work and a lot of research on it. So most of it, most of the research says that values come from a very very young age, um, and that they don't change. They're the things that motivate you. What changes is your understanding of them. And your articulation of them can change, so that's that's why uh, I like I said I'd never recommend to somebody to do like one value session and then get tattoos. <laughs> so the, the articulation can change. What um, in my experience, and, and again reading some of the research um, for personal values, is that usually when you try and articulate your values, one or two will be instant. You'll go, "Yep, okay, for sure." that's my value and I understand why and where it came from and all those things. There's usually one or two that you, it takes some questioning. It's like, why, why does this motivate you? Why do you act that way? Why do you behave in this way? And you have to go through that why a lot and that will get you to a different articulation of it, a different definition of it. Uh, for example, for me, I, I love change. I'm like that 5% of the population that loves change. I, I've you know lived and worked in a bunch of different countries and when I went through the values exercise, the person that was helping me, the coach, was like, well, but why? What what do you get out of that? Like, what do you get out of that living in different countries, different uh, challenges, those things? And I thought it was diversity. And he's like, but why diversity? Uh, like, what do you get out of that diversity and working with different people? And we kept on going through this why, why, why? And eventually got to it's learning. Um, and as soon as we got to that, I was like, holy crap. You're absolutely right. Learning is one of my values. I just was telling you, first step you do is learn <laughs> if you want to get into it. So for me, one of my values is learning, but it took a few rounds of that articulation to get there. So I would say for people, go through that process and get to where you've articulated your personal values very, very clearly. Then you can kind of move into the, how do you do that across an organization? We have some fantastic questions here from the audience. They're interested in different in different uh, areas. Uh, uh, Stoyan is actually asking, can you share a story, an example of having a turned down uh, business decision that was perhaps lucrative? 
but it wasn't fully aligned with the values and you had to say no to it. It's hard to be a, a gardener who is cons obviously constantly ensures the values are kept in check. Uh, is there situations of this kind or a story you can share? Yeah, I mean, they come up all the time, truthfully. And it, again, it's not good or bad. Um, I'm trying to think of a major one, but there's tons of minor ones that that come up. We literally just had, so one of the values in the organization is trust. In, in our organization that was come up with was trust. So one of the first things you have to do is, okay, so internally, we've got all kinds of processes and rules and controls um, for what a person can and can't do. Uh, we even had, it literally just came up, Rick, I think it was just a couple of months ago. So <laughs> still a filtering process. We had a, a, a process for uh, employees' families to be able to get a, a better deal, if you will, like, you know, essentially the employee pricing uh, for, our, for our service. Uh, but it turned out, I didn't even know about it, uh, but uh, it turned out that uh, the only way you could do it is if the actual employee um, paid for all of the invoices. Now, when we dug into that, we're going like, what the hell? Like, why would that be? And it's about control. And, you know, it was about, you know, somebody could take advantage of it and blah, blah. It was like, purely, we didn't trust people. So, and, you know, if trust is one of your organizational values, you should be trusting your customers, which means you don't have a bunch of controls in place. Now, by definition, there's going to be some control freak somewhere in the organization going, well, but we're going to lose more money. Like the people that can take advantage of us, you know, if there's three operators, like there are, the people that are going to try and take advantage of you as an organization are going to hear about this and come to you because they know you don't have those rules in place that the other guys have. It's like, yep, absolutely. And we could put in those same kinds of rules and controls and processes, but then we're not actually aligned with that value of trust. So you literally have to make those decisions and say, we're going to trust customers not to take advantage of that. We're going to consciously be aware that that one or two percent of the population is going to come to us we might even have people within our own organization that try and take advantage of those uh, the, the fact that you don't have the rules and the processes and the controls in place and when that happens it's not a matter of having the rules and controls in place for that one percent that are going to abuse it so that the 99 percent get penalized by it it's literally when that happens in, if it's happening inside the organization you get rid of that person like literally, again, you're not aligned with the values, you're gone. You take advantage of the fact that we don't have controls and processes in place, you're gone because you're not aligned with the values. Like it's it's all fairly tight. So like I said, I've done that. I, I can't think of an organization where I haven't had those situations come up, <laughs> truthfully. So every time you're making business decisions. But it sounds bad, um, but at the end of the day, a values-based organizations, and you can look at all of the research that's been done in the last 20, 30 years, values-based organizations are more profitable. They perform better. That's what I wanted to ask. How is all this culminating to the business performance? Because at the end of the day, I think um, it's very important to look at, from investors' point of view, from people's, how you serve and care, how does that impact the profitability of organization? Well, and this is the this is the part that's that's uh, even more surprising to me. So I'm my career. I started my career in finance. I'm a finance guy. I don't do anything in a business. I love competition. I don't do anything in a business unless there's a business payoff. <laughs> so although I'm talking about this stuff that some people would consider to be soft and fluffy, when you look at the research and my own personal experience with this, values-based organizations perform better. Because the examples I was just talking about, you know, you've got the bank worth hundreds of millions that spends, you know, 10 million euros, 100 million euros, whatever on an advertising campaign, but it doesn't work. 
guess what? That's a waste of money. You Whereas, put it in, invest it into the right thing. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Like literally, and I said, you can go back to the research, like 20, 30 years, Good to Great was one of the books that was written about this. And strangely enough, the companies that that are still like the the top of the class when it comes to values-based organizations still are outperforming everybody else. <laughs> so to me, I, I always have to remind myself to explain this to people, especially in finance and, uh, like you said, you know, investors. Um, there is a business payoff to this, and every time I've done this in an organization, the business performs better. And it's not surprising because, to me, you were even saying, in an organization, you spend most of your waking hours in an organization. If you can go to that organization and you know that it's aligned with your personal values, you know that it's a values-based organization that's making the right business decisions based on values, you're going to be a happier person. You're going to be a better performing person. So efficiency improves, effectiveness improves, like literally everything in the organization improves because you're a values-based organization. So by definition, you're going to have to have better results than somebody that's not a values-based organization. So like I said, I'm, I'm a finance guy, hardcore. So everything there's a business payoff to this which links very well to the next question of stern put it forward how can a uh, one inspire a culture of managing up empowering people to lead and take ownership and initiative no matter what their role or title is um, i guess you you know through what your philosophy and the value-based leadership is how uh, how that can be nurtured and, and be continuously inspired so so it's it is that you live it mm -hmm. so um a couple of things actually so one is you literally have to as a as a leader I, I, when i say leader i you know i'm organizationally you know c-suite type of thing directors whatever else you need to be talking to people um so i i haven't had an, an office jesus 20 years i haven't had a desk even the last 15 years so i sit wherever I can sit when I find an empty desk and we have an open office, so it's pretty easy here. Um, but literally it's talking to people, but talking to people, you know, there's a bunch of books written about management by walking around and all this, the rest of the stuff only, only, only ever works if you take action based on it. And those are the golden opportunities. So literally, you know, you go out to a store and you talk to five people in a store and ask them, you know, how, how can we improve something? They're going to tell you almost always somebody's going to give you their opinion. Most of the times you're not listening. Most of the times nothing actually changes. So all they're seeing is, okay, I'm doing a lot of talking and nothing's actually changing. If you actually want people to take responsibility and to be giving that kind of input, what you need to look for is those, it doesn't need to be everything that, that they come up with, but literally pick one or two key things and very quickly act on them. So literally go, Hey, I was in this store, I heard about this, and it was a great idea, and now we've implemented it. And literally very quickly, and those people start talking. And they're like, oh, that's so cool. I, I came up with that idea. I, I offered that idea, and we're doing it. Fantastic. But you need to look for those opportunities to support it. I, I'm, I'm a huge believer in for leaders and managers of, of learning communication psychology. To me, it's all around psychology. It's like literally you want people to take responsibility for something, then recognize them when they've taken res re responsibility for something, give them their responsibility. And when they take their responsibility, recognize the hell out of them, support them, champion them. Like it's, it's not rocket science. It's actually just basic human psychology, but it's, uh, it's not done well, enough. But it's taking an action and that's what matters yeah. and so important. Excellent. Um, also, we have some interest of, uh, since you are not for originally from Estonia, 
uh, we have uh, already electors asking how is life in Estonia and you know for for you personally but I guess you might be considering opportunities in Estonia Estonia is attracting a lot of talent what is your experience and thought about that great country so again you know I've lived and worked in I keep on forgetting the exact number. It's not good. I think it's seven or eight countries anyways, because uh, I've lived in some that I haven't worked. But anyways, um, great, great country. So the stuff that people hear about around uh, e-society, e-government, innovation, all true. Truthfully, I had worked in Lithuania and Latvia, so close by countries, and I'd heard all about Estonia around this innovation and e-society and stuff. And truthfully, my, my feeling not having been here was yeah, really good marketing. Small country, really good marketing around this. It's true. It's 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 so true that my friends not living here get sick of me talking about it because I'm always like, you can all, again. One of my values is learning. You can always learn. I don't care whether you're a, a 300 million country or a 1.3 million country. You can learn from other people, from other things. There's so much to learn from what Estonia is doing around the e-society and the innovation. And, you know, we've got the, what's the, the stat? We have the highest number of unicorns per capita on the planet. Like what they do here is just phenomenal. So if you really want to get into that vibe, and I did it, I was here, my first month I was here, I got connected into the startup community because it has just such a fantastic vibe, such energy, such passion, such great perspectives that even impact our business. We work with them to, to this day. So it's phenomenal. So yeah, I, I'm really enjoying it. It's good. The only thing that sucks is there's no mountains because I'm a skier <laughs> and a climber. So it's like, hey, that, that sucks. But otherwise it's good. <laughs> well, thank you for being really uh, sharing and uh, your opinion and, and experience, Chris. It's been fantastic. Any final words? What are your... What what is your thoughts for really a better, more caring world? You know, for both short term and and more longer, longer vision. What is your kind of uh, expectations? That's yeah, that's a huge, huge question. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do spend some time thinking about it. I I would say uh, maybe I'll, I'll narrow it down to from a business perspective, and I, I talk about this all the time. So I would say. Um, understanding your own personal values, if you're trying to go down the values thing, is super, super important. And even if you're not wanting to do a values-based organization, even if you're not a leader, if you're, I, I tell new employees here that are in the, their 20s, very first thing is understand your own values. Do the work to understand your own values. So super important. For anybody that wants to be in business managing people or leadership roles or manager roles, those things, communication and psychology. I get asked by students all the time what to study in school. And yeah, you need the finance, you need the marketing, you need all those things because everybody else has them and they're foundational. But I still see a massive, massive gap, which means there's a massive, massive opportunity if you know communication and psychology. Because literally everything in business is communication and psychology. Marketing, sales, leadership, management, it's all communication and psychology. So if you haven't learned those and you're not passionate about learning those, don't go into business. Like truly it's, it's a waste of time. So those, those are the things, like I said, you know, I get 30 seconds to coach somebody, learn communication, psychology, and learn your values. That's it. Well, I love it. Thank you so much, Chris. It's been a, a fascinating having you here, sharing so much value uh, for our audience and the leaders who cares. Um, as you know, we're in a mission to actually, uh, um, bring together some of the most caring leaders from every corner of the world. And uh, thank you for joining us from Estonia. Thank you, Estonia, for doing all these great things and inspiring and sharing those knowledge as well today. 
Um, have a fantastic Christmas and, uh, and a you, prosperous and wonderful new year. And thank you for making the time. God bless you. Sure. Thank, thank you so you. much. Very, very cool. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening. And we hope you enjoyed this episode. Find out more about the leaders who care across the main social media channels and help us spread the care culture in your own community. First, by taking care of yourself and then of others around you. It all starts with one person, one act of kindness. What is one thing you can do today to make your environment better? Stay inspired and stay caring. See you next time.